didn't want to share right now, maybe maybe later after after church will be more keen. Well, good evening, everyone. It's lovely to be here. I was away last week too, so it's nice to be back with you all. This is the, uh, the last week that we have in this little holiday series that we've been doing called uh, Looking Out. And obviously this is, this is a part of the Christian journey that God calls all of us to, but particularly in light of Alpha coming up, um, this is something that we wanted to be able to focus on a little bit uh, in, these, in these few weeks. And, um, and tonight we will be in 1 Peter 3. If you guys want to open up to that, you've got your Bibles there. Um, but the idea of this whole series is just to encourage you guys and to equip you guys uh, to be ready to go out into this world filled with the Holy Spirit to, to share the love of God. And I wanted to start tonight when I was thinking about this passage um, with a story about a job interview that I went to once. It was for some part-time work that I w- would be possibly doing alongside what I do here. And so obviously that meant I submitted a resume and included my, my role here and, and all the volunteer work I'd done and, and all of the rest of it. And I was in the interview and it had been going pretty well. I felt like I was, I was you know, answering all the questions well, it was looking good. And right towards the end, the person conducting the interview, she sort of paused and she said, okay, so now in light of you know, your religion and everything that you do at your church, how do you feel that, that you would go, you know, working with people here that maybe don't believe the same thing as you? And my heart kind of broke because I immediately assured her, look, I know I'm related to, I work with people that have very different values and beliefs to me, but she felt like she needed to ask the question. And I think so often we see that kind of divide or that preconception that people might have and it hurts and it sneaks up on us. And I'm sure you guys might have a story where you felt that similar kind of, kind of sting or that, yeah, that embarrassment or that hesitation when someone asks you a question like that. Like this woman who thought that I wouldn't even be able to work alongside and manage people who weren't Christians because I spent some of my time in a church. Maybe you've had a friend that asks you what you think about God, why you go to church. Maybe something a little bit trickier. What do you think about same-sex marriage? Who are you voting for and why? All of these things that crop up because we're a Christian. And it's like when these questions enter the conversation, it's like we feel our credibility and our relationship with that person kind of slip onto a knife edge a little bit. We feel like if we take one wrong step, it's like, there you go, cut into, game over. We can be filled with fear that we're going to be labelled a fool or a bigot. We're filled with the knowledge maybe that we know we're not perfect. We don't have all the answers. Our witness isn't always shiny and pure. We think about all the times we know that the church has failed. The church that is filled with broken people have not gotten it right. And in those moments, it can be really scary and it can be really intimidating to give answers about our faith, to give answers about what we believe and why we believe it. And the first thing that I thought about in response to that looking at this passage was we have some kind of comfort in the solidarity of knowing that we are in very good company when it comes to that feeling. That gut sinking, heart wrenching, what do I say right now? Because all throughout history there are so many brothers and sisters of ours in the faith across time that have felt that feeling. 
We are looking at 1 Peter tonight, as I said, and, and Peter wrote this letter to the churches that were, that were scattered across the region there. And there's a few things that we need to know about this church that he was writing the letter to. The first thing is that they were really new. It was the first generation of the church. They were still finding their way. They were still figuring out what theology they believed and how they were going to worship. How were they different from the Jewish church? They were also living incredibly counterculturally to the world around them and we'll look at a few different examples of that as we go through tonight. And they were already suffering real persecution for that difference. And in the first couple of verses, Peter says to them in response to this, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. And do not be frightened. And so we can see in that first you know, bit of the, the passage there, Peter's trying to bring them a little bit of solace in this hostile environment they find themselves in by saying, you know, if you seek to do good deeds, if you seek to love others, people are going to have a really hard time finding fault in that, right? You just being a generally good person in the culture around you. That's what he sort of heads all of this up with. But immediately after that, he addresses something of a bit of a different tone because he knows how these Christians are being treated. He knows the, the sense of the environment that they find themselves in. And there are other parts of this very letter that aren't nearly as optimistic about the way that Christians are going to be treated because of their faith. But he tells them that they'll be blessed for this suffering. And even though they are under some really serious pressure, he tells them not to fear which is kind of big talk when you think about it. This is an encouragement, do not fear, that would have been tested for everyone in the early church. They were pressed in so many ways. In in a lot of circumstances, it was their reputation that was at stake. In the early church, often they were accused of being cannibals because people in the outside world would hear them talking about communion being the Lord's body and the Lord's blood and they would think that that meant there was something really weird going on in these churches. Sometimes some churches, home churches were accused of sexual immorality because of the way they spoke about loving one another, the way they interacted with one another. It created a lot of skepticism and scandal for the people who lived in their community around them. But as well as just their reputation, of course, many of us know the stories of how Christians were killed in brutal cold blood because they refused to align themselves with the idols or the gods of that day. They refused to bow to the Caesar who was over Rome. And there's a quote by a man named Tertullian. He's an early church leader, pastor and and theologian and he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This really powerful quote talking about the fact that it was the testimony of these Christians who would hold their faith with clenched fists until the very end of their life. It was the cause of so much growth, of so many new Christians seeing the way that these people held to their faith and refused to let go of their convictions until the very end. But not just that these Christians who were reading this letter were experiencing suffering, persecution and fear about aligning with their faith maybe, Peter himself preaches these words from a really interesting position. He tells them, 
to uh, not fear, but we know that he himself battled some serious doubt and fear about his own alliance with Jesus. Many of you may know the story from the Gospel. Peter, who wrote this letter, is the same Peter who walked with Jesus for his whole ministry, saw him do miracles, do incredible things, and he followed him all the way up until the cross, all the way up until he was being judged by the Jewish religious leaders, where he would ultimately be hung on a cross, and mocked and scorned, died a death that in many ways to the people around kind of discredited all his claims until he rose from the dead, of course. And see, Peter was there while Jesus was waiting to get his verdict and he was in this courtyard gathered around a fire with a few other people that were there. And three times, we know, right, he was asked if he was that disciple, the one who hung out with Jesus. And three times he said, nope, not me. Don't know him. And so Peter, the one who gives us these words, he understands the pressure that comes when we are asked about our faith. He knows from first-hand experience how that feels. And this teaching that he gives comes out of his own failure and his own learning. He's done this dance. He's done this journey. And so we get to come together in 21st century Wynnum in admittedly a a very crazy world in very different ways to what the early church was suffering. And we get to know that for any moment that we might have frozen when someone asks us what we believe or why we believe it, for any moment that we have worried what will come of our relationships when we share the reason we see something the way that we do, we get to know that we are not alone We get to know that so many Christians throughout history have experienced this feeling, some of those with far more serious consequences. And we stand in solidarity with the church, the church that God has held, the church that God has sustained, so that even in our moments of of deepest fear and hopelessness, we can trust that he's going to do that again for us. And so I know that you might be thinking, yes, like, sure, Maddie, I felt that fear. I know the feeling you're talking about where I freeze up and I don't know what to say. Sure, I know that God has sustained his church throughout all of this period, but, like, what does it look like? What does it mean? How does that apply to me tomorrow when my friends are talking about what's in the news this week? And so we look back to our passage for this. And this is one of those topics where there must be thousands of sermons on this passage, on this topic, from people that are far more intelligent and eloquent than myself. But these are just a few of the reflections that I had. I did my best to try and find something fresh for you guys tonight. So let's read. We're going to read um, 1 Peter 3, verse 15 to 16. It'll be up on the screen. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give you, sorry, that you give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And as I sat, as I dwelt on this passage, what God laid on my heart is that when we are asked about our faith, when we're asked to give reasons, maybe it would help us if we begun to see our answers like opportunities to worship, like little moments where we would be able to worship by loving God and loving others. 
And so we can see in the beginning of this this, um, passage here that Peter tells the church to revere Christ as Lord in their hearts. This is the foundation that he gives about addressing their faith, their beliefs when they're talking with other people. And I think that there is incredible power in this for us, rooting our answers as an act of worship to who God is. And I think that the power comes from the fact that a posture of worship helps prevent us from responding out of an unhealthy reaction. I'll say it again, a posture of worship stops us from jumping into an unhealthy reaction. An incredible pastor and teacher by the name of Sharon Miller-Hodder spoke a little bit on this recently. I'm adapting a few of her, her thoughts about this idea that we live in a, a crazy reactionary world, right? We live in a polarised world. We live in an angry world. And that means that we are constantly being bombarded with criticism about God, about the church, about our values and our beliefs. I'm sure we've all experienced it, right? I imagine a large percentage of the people in this room have Facebook. It's rife. And there's a temptation for us in those moments when we feel that bombardment, when it's like there's shrapnel coming down on us, attacking everything that we believe and stand for, to snap back, right? to jump, to cry out really quickly, sometimes maybe without even thinking very much. And we can find ourselves getting caught running into these intellectual, political, moral battles. But what we do is we turn our faith and our beliefs into a weapon that we want to use to vanquish our opposition. And I think that when we turn ourselves to have a posture of worship, instead of waging our answers and justifications like a weapon, we instead stand with open hands in awe about the hope that we have and we offer it back to God like an offering of praise. I was thinking about, you know, what is, what's the fruit of debate? What are the kinds of virtues and the things that we see coming out of this polarisation, out of this reactivity? And I thought of so many things. I thought of hate. I thought of comparison unsettledness, that reactivity that we've been talking about, defensiveness, selfishness, blind loyalty, impulsivity. These are the things that we see so often when we discuss life, culture, morals, values. But these should not be the things that we exhibit of children of God. Instead, we turn to the fruit of the Spirit Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. These are the virtues that we can count on in our life when we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to guide us. And when we respond with these virtues, when we give our answers, it will set us apart We can trust that what God has to bring into this world is something that is more beautiful, more peaceful, more gracious. And when we root ourselves in dependence on him, those are the kinds of things that will come out of us in those opportunities we're given to give answers about what we believe, why we believe it. But not only do I think that treating our answers like offerings of worship will help us stay away from unhealthy reaction, it also means that our eyes, 
are going to be fixed on the true character and power of God. And when we are truly fixed on who God is, that means our our fear of man, our fear of what other people are going to think of us, the opinions that they'll have of us, that will be decreased. When we treat those moments where that fear fills our heart and we're asked to give an answer as an opportunity to worship, we will be in a much better position to remember that God can truly handle any accusation that is thrown in his way. And he will not abandon us. He will not leave us when we feel ourselves floundering in that moment, when we feel that we are having accusations made against us as well. God will not leave us. We'll be freed from the need to look like we're right in front of that other person. We'll be freed from the need to to look like we've got it all together because we know that God is in control. We know that God will win the war of, of all of the morals and, and, the, and the, uh, the spiritual realm, ultimately, that's going on in this life that we live. I could think about a time when I was pondering on this. I was on holidays with my family and, you know, it was one of those occasions where you'd had a big day and you were just sitting on the deck and it was dark. We had dinner. Everything was quietening down. And someone very, very close to me who doesn't often ask about my faith looked at me and said, you know, how do you know you picked the right one? There's so many different religions, there's so many different beliefs. How do you know that yours is the one that's true? And I could have jumped right in that moment. I could have immediately started reacting to everything that I know that they think about religion. I could have started trying to pull archaeological facts out of my back pocket to win them over about the validity of Christianity. But I remember in that moment, God just washed something over me. And I felt this incredible peace and I just shared some of my testimony explaining that I had experienced the truth of what this religion claims in my own life. I had been overcome so many times by God's faithfulness and his working. He had proved that he was real to me as I saw him working in my life I explained that I saw his fingerprints all over creation in this world and and the good works that humanity manages to do. Those things align with the value and the character of God as it's revealed to us in his word time and time and time and time again. And as I shared, as I spoke, I had no idea how it was going over. And I, I didn't win that person over. I didn't convince them that God was real and they should fall down on their knees and give their life to Jesus immediately. But they didn't fight me either. I didn't answer out of fear of what they would think of me or immediately react to everything that I knew they believed. I just shared about the beauty of the God that I know. And it was peacefully heard. I think it takes some of the pressure off us to feel like we need to get it all right. Share about the love and the beauty of the God that you know. Paul tells us in Colossians, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. And so that's the first thing I see in in these passages as I reflected. When we can give answers about our faith out of a heart of worship and love for God, our eyes are completely pulled from the chaos of this earth. We can resist that temptation to react defensively and we can trust in God's goodness and power rather than fearing the opinions of others. 
But as well as our, our um, answers being worship that loves God, we also need to make sure that it's worship in the form of loving others as well, of course, right? You still have a human being sitting in front of you that you have a relationship with that has their own life experiences. And Peter tells the church in these verses to treat others with gentleness and with respect in these kinds of interactions that we have with people. He refers twice in this passage to doing good deeds that will inevitably bless others. I think we have so many temptations in these kinds of conversations where we're giving answers about our faith to disregard people when that feeling of intimidation or worry comes up. I think one of the ways we disregard them is is we, um, we fear giving their views any validity. We don't want them to feel like we agree with them. We don't want them to feel like their view is okay. And so we just kind of want to run away. But Peter says, no, be respectful. And sometimes I truly think that means listening to people's views, hearing them out. I loved what Sam Chan was sharing a couple of weeks ago in in the Way of Life podcast we had here about asking our family and friends what they believe, honouring where they are at so we can journey with them well, being respectful. But I also think that sometimes we can disregard others by, by brushing them off, whether that is defensively or dismissively. And Peter says be gentle with them. And when I think about what that might look like, a thousand stories of Jesus come to mind in the Gospels, how he conversed with people. He asked them questions. He probed. He walked out a journey of discovery with those that he came across. It wasn't long ago we were reflecting on the wisdom of James that tells us that we should all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We don't need to feel threatened to include that process in when we're giving answers about our faith and hearing what other people believe, that space is okay. But I think the last way we can sometimes disregard others is just by distancing ourselves from them. We don't want to be judged, we don't want to get into it, so we just kind of run away. But Peter says, no, do good deeds, love them, love your family, love your friends, love your workmates, love your community, be a witness to them about the heart of God. And there's some incredible stories out of the early church of what this looks like. For all of the persecution that they would endure, they did some incredible good in that society as well. Often in this time, little babies, they would be abandoned in rubbish piles. And we have accounts of the early church taking in these children, whether the family was too poor to keep them or maybe they gave birth to a little girl. Women in that time were not viewed highly and the church would take these children in and raise them and love them and house them. The church also played a pretty major role too in the creation of hospitals in ancient Rome as well. They believed everyone deserved care and dignity and those are some of the values as those things caught in ancient Rome that that created these sorts of things. We too today, we can hear respectfully the views of others. We can respond to them with gentleness and love them earnestly and practically. And truly when we do so, our space to share what we believe and the trust others are going to have in us, it really does increase. And I feel it important to point out that this isn't a manipulation, right? We don't just relate to and converse with people because they're like prey, you know, that we get to catch for the kingdom of God. 
I found a, a quote by Tim Keller, and at risk of taking a leaf out of Matt's book, I'm going to share it anyway. He said, we shouldn't love people in order to share our faith with them. Rather, we share our faith and ourselves with them in order to love them. Peter's talking about the hope that we have in this passage. That's what we're giving our answers about. And it is the greatest gift we'll ever possess, right? To revere Christ every day. To revel in the joy of our salvation. And we know, right, that sharing this with people, the hope that we have in the hope that they might come to know it for themselves is the greatest act of love we can ever give. But there is a whole lot of life that happens between those moments where we might get to lay it on the table in black and white. And it's in those long in-between moments that we need to love others well. We need to worship our Lord by loving others that our answers might carry weight. And so I suppose that all of this to say is just that we need to shift our perspective a little maybe. When we're asked about our beliefs, about our faith, we shouldn't just be answering or defending or reacting. Instead, we can worship. We can engage in worship that puts God in his proper place in our heart and our life. So all of our answers are clothed with the fruit of the Spirit and we are filled with awe of him rather than fear of man. And we can engage in worship that loves others so well as children of God by treating them with gentleness and respect, sharing with them where we can, the hope that we have. It's such a subtle change of perspective, but I do believe that it can be a really important and powerful one. Changing us from a people that might be seen as, you know, defensive keyboard warriors into passionate storytellers. From really pious, overly religious peers into some of the most compassionate friends that people will ever know from desperate debaters, wherever we get a chance, to the most trusted, safe place that people want to run. And so I just, I just felt like this was an encouragement for all of us in this crazy world that we live in that is only getting wilder by the day, it seems, that worshipping God every single day will turn our opportunities to answer others into moments of testimony and praise Chances to walk with them humbly and gently. And as we, as we finish, I, I thought it might be helpful to everyone just to close your eyes for a second and to recall in your mind a time when, when God's goodness blessed you so abundantly. Times when his faithfulness and his fingerprints were so clear in your life that there was not a shred of doubt in your heart about the God that you followed. When his care and his power set you on the complete right path, one you could have never picked for yourself. These are the sorts of stories that we have to share with others, to worship our God, to praise his goodness in our life and share who he is to us. And to also recall the times where maybe another child of God that you know, another disciple, believer, has shown you gentleness and respect and care. And as you recall the love that you felt, the acceptance that you felt, let that be something that inspires and spurs you on to, to bring that feeling into other people's lives as well.
my prayer for, for all of us here tonight is that the Spirit would fill us up to the point where we are overflowing so that when questions come and chances to share our faith are given, there's, there's not fear or hesitation that fills us, only worship and praise and love. We're going to worship in a moment, but just as I was uh, singing in that last song, God laid it really heavily on my heart that there are people in this room who are feeling stuck, are feeling frozen in this world that we live in. Maybe that's because you open up Facebook and you get so overwhelmed about the way the world sees us, you are terrified to put yourself out there as one of those Christians. Maybe you've been giving answers to someone for such a long time and it is not making a difference and you are discouraged and you are tired And I believe that tonight God wants to fill you afresh. I believe that he wants to fill you afresh with the hope that he will move, that he will fill you, that it is the spirit that will convince that person that you love, that you've been praying for, that you've been speaking to them about Jesus. I believe that tonight he just wants to take a little bit of the weight off your shoulders. He wants to let you know that you don't have have to have it all figured out. Just worship. Just love him. Just be with him. And so I want to pray a blessing over you now before, before we sing, that you might feel free to leave this place ready to worship and know that God has got you and he's holding you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the testimony of the church your bride that you've grown and you've nurtured and you've walked alongside, Lord, through so much suffering and so much fear. And yet, it's never been crushed. It's never been squashed out. Lord, we want to rely afresh on that faithfulness tonight. Lord, and we pray that when we think about that, you would make it true for our own lives as well, Father. When people come and ask us about what we believe, who we believe in, Lord. That you would help to eliminate some of that fear, that intimidation, that hesitation, Lord. And you would replace those feelings with a knowledge of who you are, with stories of your love for us and your faithfulness to us, with inspiration to reach out and love the person sitting across from us, asking us these questions, Lord. I pray for for anyone here tonight, Father, who is feeling frozen, stuck, whether they're overwhelmed by all of the arguments, all of the opinions, all of the criticism in this world towards your children, towards you, Lord, and for those that might be feeling weighed down by the journey of giving answers and not seeing fruit. Lord, would you fill them afresh with a fire for you and a love for you like that which they felt when they came to know you for the very first time. Lord, would that passionate love rise up in us? Would that be the thing that pours out of us when people ask what we believe, Lord. Would you lift the weight from our shoulders that makes us feel like we need to have it all right, have all the answers? And would you replace that with a knowledge 
that your character, your goodness and your love will be enough that it will win hearts into this kingdom and it will change people for eternity. So Lord, would you help us? Whether we're inviting someone to Alpha, whether we're praying for our family, witnessing to someone at work, Lord, whatever it might be, would you help us this week to worship you? Lord, thank you that you found us. And now that we are children of yours, we just want to serve you so well. And so we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If anyone would like prayer tonight, feel free to come down the front, catch us after the service. Um, Any of the the team matter, I would love to pray with you.